Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back. I'm Carl Mack and this is Combat Chronicles. And as promised, UFC 276 all the way on this episode. I'm not actually going to talk about the main event just yet. Uh, Israel Adesanya beat uh, Jared Cannonier uh, via unanimous decision. Uh, we'll circle back to that at the end because um fight wasn't all that interesting. I really don't want to talk about it now. The fight wasn't really all that interesting. But in terms of narrative, what it sets up for the future, I'm going to pair that with... Pereira and Strickland, which also wasn't really all that interesting, so it's um, all that surprising given Strickland's approach. So we're going to pair them fights together for the end um, and sort of what it means, what we can expect going forward, um, and a little bit of history as well. So, And it's only really fair that we do uh, hit off this episode with uh, Alexander Volkanovsky defeating Max Holloway. Uh, by unanimous decision, 3-0 and in the series, regardless of what you think in that second decision. Uh, the second fight was one of the all-time great fights, bookended by two of the all-time great performances. And this one really was the uh, the cherry on top. Uh, 50-45, 50-45, 50-45. I think those scorecards were actually a bit too kind to Holloway. Um, probably could have had a couple of 10-8s in there as well due to the dominance. Um Volkanovski is the best pound-for-pound fighter in the world. Regardless of sport, not sure. Probably say no to that. Um, MMA, certainly. Uh, what Volkanovski did, uh, I'm going to say tonight, because it was essentially last night, but for me it was in the middle of the night. Um, and I'm recording this early on Sunday morning, so it's still it's tonight. Um, it was nothing short of spectacular. Matter of fact, that... You can't really be hyperbolic with this. It was spectacular. It was incredible. It was awe-inspiring. It was really does reaffirm what's great about seeing great fighters in their prime do great things. And I want to sort of reiterate little things that Max did I thought was impressive because I don't want people to think that suddenly Max Holloway is washed. I know people are going to look at the Yaya Rodriguez fight and how competitive that was and then look at this and see how uncompetitive it was to an extent. And to think that, oh wow, well, Volkanovski's won because Holloway's shot. Now, Holloway might get chinned in his next three fights. And that might tell us a lot. It could suggest that Volkanovski's ruined him. Neither of those things would be true. Holloway, still immensely durable in this fight. Still doing things that I thought were interesting. Still trying to level change. Still trying to set up strikes with a uh, head kick to punch, punch to head kick, that sort of thing. The things that he did well 
in the second fight. Not really no point talking about him much because ultimately he wasn't that successful. I actually had a conversation yesterday on Twitter where I said I thought that Volkanovski was going to win uh, sort of easily because Holloway did just about as well as he could in the second fight. And the percentages of him getting uh, multiple knockdowns were low. And that played out. Um, not only that, but played out that Volkanovski was faster, sharper, more powerful. Actually, not more powerful. Um, he, he can dig. We always know he can dig. In fact, I think the durability level of uh, the majority of his opponents, at least in recent times, has led people to think that he doesn't hit that hard when clearly he does. But what he was doing here, uh, leading Max in the shots, uh, just causing him to constantly move. I know people saying, oh, Max, he's, he's on the front foot. Volkanovski had him just where he wanted him. He was able to lead him in the shots, heard him into, into uh, harder punches. I thought that the the right hand work was really good from Volk. The lead hand work was phenomenal from Volkanovski. Kicks, obviously, uh, were a major part of the first fight. But just how strong Volkanovski is. He had Holloway sort of panic wrestling. He had Holloway trying a lot of different things. And I will get on them in a second. Touched on them already. But the ease in which Volkanovski was able to dominate Holloway in the clinch, turning him uh, much like he was, uh, you know, a, a welterweight against a, uh, a featherweight. Really, it was it was ridiculous. Holloway so long and uh, so huge for the weight class. Volk is short, but he's not small. He's a tank, immensely strong, but to not sacrifice speed, timing. Durability, endurance, uh, output, all of these things add up to a masterful, masterful performance. Given the level of opposition, uh, Max Holloway, definitely a top 10 fighter of all time. Was you know Would have been on my top 5, but you know really need to let the dust settle on all this and figure out what's going on. Um, but given the level of opposition... And uh, given how good we know Max Holloway is, definitely from his recent performances as well, I was, I was not as, to touch on what I said earlier, the, the Rodriguez fight didn't alarm me at all. Just a janky, awkward uh, opponent who was a good athlete and you know those, he still won clearly in my opinion, so it's not a problem. A competitive fight against a top 10 fighter does not uh, cause alarm bells for me. So given Holloway's stature, status generally, you know, all time as well as where he's at in his career and the problems that he posed for Volkanovski last time this is has to go down as one of the all time great performances in UFC title fight history uh, Volkanovski early was psyching himself up he said afterwards he wasn't trying to diss Max but he was psyching himself up saying it actually in the cage saying I'm just too fast for him just look look you can't do anything and um, that could have easily backfired had Holloway caught him and chinned him that could have easily backfired. He would have, he would have gone from you know, champ to chump essentially. It would have been meme. You can just imagine it on Sports Center, can't you? Them showing the clip of him saying, "I'm just too fast for him," then getting chinned. Um, it, that would have gone viral. But this performance deserves to go viral because Volk knows who he is. He knows what he's capable of. He's put on an absolute clinic tonight against one of the all-time best mixed martial artists of all time. Uh, Holloway did some interesting things. As I said earlier, he tried to replicate what he was doing in that first fight with the level changes. Uh, sorry, the second fight with the level changes. Um, you want to know more about that? 
check out the Patreon if you haven't already, where I did a rewatch of the second fight for Royal Robbery, where I basically try and ascertain whether the fight uh, is a fair decision or not based on the actual unified rules of mixed martial arts. Do a little bit of technical analysis on that, but basically just trying to ascertain what's actually sco- worth scoring. And what Holloway did in that fight was excellent to set Volk off. Volk up, heard him into shots, um, disrupted his rhythm. It was, it was just excellent work. He tried to do that in times here. Wasn't working. Clearly losing rounds. In the third round, it's something interesting. He seemed to sort, kind of try and bait Volkanovski's right hand and then counter it himself. Um, so he's just trying to draw that shot out of him. Uh, kind of seemed to work once or twice, but... Holloway just lacked the speed, lacked the timing, and basically Volk soon uh, caught onto it and started twatting him again. So, I mean, Max Holloway is covered in claret, awful cut, keeps coming forward, keeps trying to do stuff. He's fainting, he's fainting, he's fainting. They're saying, look, take more risks, take more risks. It doesn't work like that. He's not getting any good reads. He's trying to faint Volk out of position, and he's not getting anything. Everywhere he moves him to, Volk already knows where he's going. Volk is leading the dance, and he's basically punching Holloway all over the dance floor. So, as I say, just a genius performance from an excellent fighter, and uh, just unbelievable, really. Just you know, I thought it was gonna, I thought he'd win with ease, but I didn't think he'd win so comprehensively. I thought maybe it'd be more like the first fight. What he's done there is, he's. He's kind of dominated like the first fight, but built upon that strategy, which was primarily leg kick based, as he did in the final three rounds of the second fight. It's basically like, you know, they've they've had five rounds of Volk's four rounds where Volk's got the best of it. Then Max is sort of trying to figure out the fifth round. Then Max is kind of in the sixth, seventh round, kind of you know, built on it a bit more and got his reads down. Then Volk sort of made the adjustment, you know, 8, 9 and 10. He sort of found his way back into it, but it's still competitive. And then rounds 11 to 15, Volk's just come out on top. He's finally figured Holloway out. Holloway's got nothing left to show him. If you see it as like a 15 round fight, I think that's kind of how it's played out. Just my theory. And Volkanovski has proven now to me, that he's the greatest 145-pound champion in UFC history. Forever relegating Max Holloway to either second or third place, depending on how you see Holloway's uh, legacy uh, matching up with uh, Jose Aldo's as you know, 145-pounders. In terms of pound-for-pound uh, know, pound achievements, uh, Jose Aldo's second career at Bantamweight is... Well, it's unbelievable in its own right. Um, but it's clear to me that Volkanovski is the greatest featherweight in mixed martial arts history. Where does he go from here? Well, there's another really quality former featherweight who's now an elite uh, lightweight at 155 pounds in Charles Oliveira. And I think that's probably one of the best super fights that can be made uh, in all of MMA. I think that would be an amazing one. Uh, we'll probably favour Oliveira, to be honest with you, based on just he's just become an immense pressure fighter. Would be able to cut off Volk while he's trying to, to um, lead the dance, so to speak, and 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 trying to circumnavigate him. I think Oliveira's got he's, he's more powerful than Max is, and I think um, the way he sets up his his punches and the way he cuts people off with knees, I think Volk would find it hard to circumnavigate him. And I think if Volk was to come forward 
Um, although um, I think he would definitely have success punching with uh, Charles. We know that Oliveira is not that easy to finish. And I think he is as dangerous, if not more so, on the mat than Ortega. So I think, you know, Volk would be playing with fire there. I'm not saying I favour Oliveira to win at all. I mean, you know, this is absolutely fine that Volkanovski could easily win three rounds based on, you know, maybe drops Oliveira, maybe does survive in his guard, does, you know, brutal with his ground and pound style. Uh, you know, he's Fedor-esque in that regard, sort of sitting in people's guards and beating the fuck out of them. So... Uh, to assume that it's a foregone conclusion even given the fact that Oliveira is a beast now at 155 whereas he had come up from 145 he's going to tower over Volkanovski um, but for me that's the fight to make I think because of those questions because I'm not quite sure how it would go because I want to see Volkanovski tested in a way that no 145 pounder can and no 135 pounder coming up can note to yourself uh, Henry Cejudo um, fuck it just give me the most challenging hard to predict fight going because he wants it I think he clearly fucking wants it and the fact that they kind of were Joe was kind of alluding to it and then they showed Charles in the crowd I think the UFC think fuck it let's do it I think they're going to go with it as well um, obviously Chucky's got to win the uh, the belt back first um, because whether whether they'll just say okay Volkanovski versus Oliveras for the vacant title or whatever I, I don't know but um we know he's fighting for the title next, Oliveira. So, yeah, man, that's the one to make. But Max Holloway, he could easily win the belt back, I think, if, if Volk leaves the division. So um, I don't anticipate that he's going to have some perilous slide now because I think we would have seen him in more dire straits during the fight, whereas he was kept pressing. He kept pressing on, looked fine physically, looked fine in terms of durability, got rocked maybe a couple of times, uh, you know, but it, it didn't look like a fighter who got old overnight, which is why I find this performance... Uh, just so impressive. As I said earlier, we're going to circle back round to Izzy and Alex Pereira. Really interesting fight on the card that I knew was going to be horrible to watch, but I briefly had faith whilst watching it play out live, was Brian Barberina versus Robbie Lawler. Obviously a barn burner on paper, goes without saying. It's the kind of fight that an old Robbie Lawler would lose in, but he did give me hope at stages. Ultimately did get finished, um, just got overwhelmed. Barbrain did some nice things, but what really struck me during this fight, and yes, I'm a fanboy, don't get me wrong, but Robbie Lawler, man, the things he's, he's 40 years old, he's a battle, it's not battle tested, battle worn veteran. He's found it hard to pull the trigger, as we know, subsequent to the knockout to Woodley. Um, they gave him some favourable matchups, which he was able to pull the trigger somewhat. He got injured against Dos Anjos, that didn't help. Um, you know, fighters can sort of stall him out. Uh, can faint him out and he's not able to do what he used to but if you give him fights in which he can basically do his thing I still think he's worth watching I still think he's got a chance Barb Rain is just a bit too young and strong but Robbie Lawler man the hand fighting the natural defensive slips the things he was doing to get his shots off to uh, get Barb Rainer's back against the fence the second round where he came out and put on a jabbing clinic for much of it so sharp, that ramrod jab, stupid thing from Joe Rogan, I think it was Joe, it might be DC, but I think it's Joe Rogan who said, that jab feels like a right hand because it is thrown with the right hand. It's not how southpaw jabs work, Joe. Um, they're still jabs. 
yes, it's just a very powerful jab. It's not that it feels like a right hand because it is his right hand. That's not how... Anyway. Um, but Barbara Rayner, you know, kept punching a combination. Uh, he would throw a flurry and then use old Anderson Silva uh, up elbow, constantly ca causing uh, Robbie Lawler to concede ground. Eventually it paid out, uh, paid off for him, and, and, he, and he stopped Robbie Lawler with a flurry of punches. Lawler looked unsteady on his feet for probably about a minute before that, but not to take it away from Brian Barbarona, but Robbie Lawler, man, just seeing the little things that give you an indicator of how good he was in his prime and how good he always has been, essentially. Just a fantastic ambassador for the sport. Still, I just loved seeing when he's pressuring. You know, as I say, the jab was excellent, but slipping shots, the hand fighting, parrying, then firing off the left um, straight behind it, walking Barbarino to the right hook. Really nice stuff. He's always been great at it. He got a new lease of life at Welterweight. He's now officially shot to pieces, Physically, he can't get out of the way quite as he used to. He's never a defensive savant. Let's be honest. He was an action fighter who is very, very good like at aggressively counter-punching people. All the stuff he does defensively is all good, but he's never been impossible to hit. He's really good at taking the edge off things, but at his age, he's just not able to do it as consistently as he used to. So, you know, maybe give him, find him some sort of other washed-up name or... Or similar, I don't know, but um, if this is the end, um, what an amazing fight! Absolutely one of the one of the all-time greats, uh, one of the you know probably thirty to fifty greatest fighters that we've ever seen in mixed martial arts. Um, I think I had him in my top twenty, to be honest with you, and I think a lot of other people did. But you know, uh, relatively short prime when you think about it, you know his early physical prime uh, gave way to often fighting out of weight and middleweight um, for a long time. Uh, spotty record but clearly like an incredible like physical talent then UFC by strike force he begs for another chance gets back down to 170 that's his real prime when he still physically got it but at a technical level is uh, more refined and just more dedicated to the sport than he ever was and, and that title run was truly special this loss doesn't take away from it really fun fight props to Barbarina um, who you know Let's be honest, not one of the uh, elite, elite 170-pounders, but has generally competed well with some really quality fighters, uh, including uh, Leon Edwards, of course, who um, you know won that fight, but Barbarino hit hard enough to uh, badly fucking hurt him. So I think that says a lot about you know how good Barbarino is. I think you know he's a really good fighter um, coming off now probably the two most you know, quote unquote name wins of his entire career. So yeah, man, I look forward to seeing him that one seventy needs depth. He's always gonna be on the peripheral in my opinion, uh, of you know, breaking in. But as a fun action fighter, thank fuck he's there. Big fan. I was immensely wrong about uh Pedro Munoz versus uh Sean O'Malley and again I don't need to tell you to go and find my old tweets. I don't need to admit that I'm wrong. I was wrong. I assumed that Athletically, and the fact that Munoz is so slow and clear on the way out, out of his prime, that O'Malley would just be able to basically bluff his way through it, stay on the outside, the odd kick, the odd punch, and just neutralise Pedro. Actually, O'Malley is a lot worse than I thought um, at MMA, and Pedro still got it more than I, than I thought. Um, basically, a lot of naked low kicks that O'Malley had no answer for, 
And unlike the Diaz brothers, who used to no-sell leg kicks, um, and they struggled, um, O'Malley is neither durable enough, confident enough, or able to uh, have the added versatility of the Diaz brothers' ground games to the extent that he basically just sort of walks around and tries to flashly land the odd punch or kick. There is no process to his game. Uh, Pedro Munoz was easily able to negate most of what O'Malley brought to the table uh, with just, as I say, switching stance, spamming low kicks with little to no setup, all of which were landing hard by the uh, rules of the uh, unified rules of mixed martial arts. He would have clearly won the first round. Um, I have no idea how that was actually scored. I've not checked it out or whether it's even been officially released. O'Malley did sort of try to get his sort of range down a little bit in the second round, was was doing a decent job of working his right hand in, uh, but then uh, resorted to, uh, well, I don't know if he resorted to, but rather conveniently uh, poked uh, Pedro in the eye and the fight was a no contest. We learned a huge amount about uh, both guys, really, but especially O'Malley in... I'll just check in now. It's three minutes, nine seconds of the second round. So about eight minutes. Fight scheduled for 15, of course. Three rounder. Uh, so just over half of the belt had um, lapsed. And I think we learned basically everything we needed to know about Sean O'Malley. They gave him here, and I did say this, if you do search my old tweets on, on this on this fight. Um, they gave him here. They clearly want to move him up. Clearly got aspirations to be somewhat of a star. Um, they've protected him a lot. Um, they've tried to give him the most favourable step up in Munoz who is quality fire somewhat dangerous what is he late 30s now um, coming off a couple of losses um, in which he looked decent at times but was clearly uh, what's the best way of putting this you could, you could navigate him yeah you know in his last what is it since he beat Cody Garbrandt which was probably his like big you know breakout fight to most people um, he has so if we include that fight he's at two and four in his last six admittedly he had his moments against Jose Aldo but he and he had really big moments against Dominic Cruz before somewhat shit in the bed and following him about um, which is sort of what I thought O'Malley might cause him to do but the fact that he really did expose O'Malley's lack of depth um kills any hype in my opinion for O'Malley going forward I know there'll be apologists out there I know there'll be fans out there I know there'll be people that are maybe a little less cynical than I am out there um, that want to give O'Malley benefit of the doubt want to say look we don't know what his game plan might have been going into the third he might have just overwhelmed Pedro he might have just eked out a decision maybe this is a bad stylistic matchup for him he's still young he needs to learn he needs more fights like this etc 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 you know he's had what probably what 20 pro bouts now or getting near it he's you know well past 25 now what is he 26 27 um he's not a 21 year old prospect anymore he has been matched softly because they know what they've got um and both times he's really stepped up now against uh vera and now munoz he has clearly got not only just technical sort of stylistic deficiencies, but um, doesn't really lack the, uh, should we say, the intangibles to overcome them. There are gaping holes in his skill set, and I think gaping holes in his mentality. Um, I don't rate him uh, much at all as a prospect going forward. Maybe if he was this skill set in a 205 pounder, I'd be absolutely psyched. I'd be stoked. 
as the kids might may or may not say I don't really keep up with the slang anymore. Um, so I'd be stoked. I think that's actually from like 1950. So I think I don't know what I'm saying. The kids, the kids, the post-war kids might say. But he isn't. He's at 135 pounds, which is not only the deepest division in uh, the UFC, but probably the deepest division uh, internationally and outside of it and other organisations as well. So, um, yeah, wouldn't even pick him uh, to win the Bellator title, given how stacked their division is. Um, he'd probably beat Kai Asakura out and Rising, but that's about it. A nice little veteran fight between, uh, a rematch between Jim Miller and Donald Cerrone. Not much to talk about there. Just nice to see... Uh, Jim Miller win. Um, Jalen Turner. Now there's a guy who came off Dana White's contender series and was thrown to the wolves, unlike O'Malley. Um, utterly impressive performance against Brad Vidal, a fighter who I really rate. Not really much to talk about, um, but Turner pushed him back, pushed the pace, dropped in a right hand, stunned Vidal, leapt on him, guillotined him, just over in what? half a minute unbelievable uh, technical standpoint not really much to talk about from a physical standpoint Turner is an absolute freak at £155 he's probably what 6'2 6'3 um, got athleticism speed interesting fighter look forward to seeing him again obviously um, watched him against Luke a couple of years back have tuned in here and there for his bouts never really massively uh, sold on him even though he's clearly got He's clearly an interesting proposition, uh, sort of physically. Um, putting it all together, love to see it. Uh, another prospect who people have told me to be sold on over and over again is Ian Gary. Never really been sold on him. Um, wasn't really particularly sold on Gabriel Green. But impressive performance, to be fair, to give props to Gary. Uh, looked sharper, uh, looked better prepared um, to, to move and counter and, and, and less sort of chin in the air, wailing away, trying to put on an impressive performance, just did did uh, right by um, the Sanford team. And, you know, Gary, wake me up again in terms of in fighting actual you know, quality opponents before people start telling me he's a future champ. I remember when uh, one prominent podcaster said uh, before he even fought in the UFC, this guy has future champ potential. Still not sold on that. But credit where credit's due, uh, Gary clearly won that fight in my in my opinion, and uh, there's more to like than I previously would have thought. At least from a fighting standpoint, as a personality, he's still the pits. So I'm going to get on to the Pereira Adesanya uh, future title fight, which seems inevitable, and of course the fights that they had on this uh, UFC 276 card just after a little uh, you know, shoehorned in ad, as I like to do. So. You've got, if you want to hear the cool shit, you know, skip forward 30 seconds or do me the due respect to at least listening to this terrible advertisement that I put together. Thanks. Combat Chronicles podcast is here to bring you previews, reviews and a look at the rich history of combat sports. The only way we can do it is with your support. So please head on over to www.patreon.com slash combat chronicles. But of course, monetary support is not the only way you can get involved. Head on over to your preferred podcast platform and give us a five-star rating and review to make the podcast more visible to others. Thanks for listening and back to the show. So yeah, Israel Adesanya successfully defended his uh, UFC middleweight title um, for what, the fifth time now? We should probably check that out. Let me check that out. Ah. Uh.
thought I was going to edit the silence out. Of course not. It was the fifth time. Um, good guess, Kyle. Um, look, there's really nothing to talk about. It's one of his low output, uh, low risk fights where opponent came in. Uh, also, sort of low output, low risk. Um, does this way of mesmerising people, Alessandro, a silver ad in his prime where uh, Anderson Silver, that is. A side note. Well, I've just said that. You might go, well, obviously you meant Anderson Silver. I watched interviews with Paul McCartney recently, and um, whenever he talks about John or George, he'll go, uh, you know, excuse the impression, but, um, you know, I wrote this song with John, John Lennon. Like, like we need to know who John Lennon is. Like, no, I wondered who you were talking about, Paul. Well, George wrote this great guitar, George Harrison I'm talking about, wrote this great guitar piece. Obviously, it's George Harrison. Um, Paul, everyone fucking knows who the Beatles are. God love you, mate, but you don't need to clarify who John and George are every time you mention them. Oh, I thought you were talking about George, your mate from the pub, who, who you know, let you write this, let you play the solo on Taxman, Paul. Thanks, thanks for clarifying that you meant George Harrison, one of the most famous men to ever live. Um, anyway, as an aside, that is. Uh, Adesanya has this way of mesmerising people, much like Anderson Silva. See how I clawed that back? Um, and, you know, we've seen a couple of fights now where people were risk-averse, um, which is fine with him because he's relatively risk-averse. He doesn't want to walk forward and get clobbered, uh, and they don't want to walk forward and walk into a wood chipper. So, essentially, you get these kind of stalemates. Um, it is evocative of some of Silva's title defences, and it's not good to see. It's boring, especially when someone like Cannoneer is somewhat of a low... Uh, what's the right word for this? He was not high on my list of opponents that I'd want to fight, is he? I think this was kind of put together as a showcase or a kind of, you've just fought Whitaker and there's not really anyone left for you to fight uh, kind of fight. Um, Cannoneer is a really dangerous guy. He's a really strong guy. Um, I think he's fucking every time he hits you, it hurts. But... His process for much of this fight was to sort of follow Izzy around and not do much, and Izzy just sort of kind of pops, pivots, resets, causes you to keep moving. Not particularly interesting. Um, I think if he'd stepped it up, he could have put some good shots together and possibly hurt Cannonier and, and, and maybe not maybe not get him out there. But we didn't even really get much in the way of you know sort of scintillating uh, sort of multiple knockdowns or anything, even like flash stuff. It's just fucking boring and. Not really much happened. And I know it's not Adesanya's fault entirely. But what I'm saying is I'm not criticising Adesanya for not doing more. What I'm saying is it shows him as a somewhat one-note fighter. By saying, oh, he shouldn't have to take risks. Why should he do any more on the bare minimum? I'm not saying he, he should do more. But I'm saying certain fighters can do more. They can draw the lead more and then get their counters off. Izzy is pretty much primarily at this stage a pure counter striker which is and I say this now because it's quite interesting as to what I'm going to talk about going forward in this podcast as I wrap it up which is the potential fight with Alex Pereira because at one point Izzy was not this kind of fighter and it'd be really interesting to see what he does in this Pereira fight which is clearly up next because Alex Pereira Powhatan Stonehand the indigenous uh, monster out of Brazil the scary uh, probably the hardest striker in all of combat sports. I know some people say, oh, Baturbiev, Inoue, come on, man. Pereira, right hand's bad, left hand's horrific. And when I say bad, I mean bad, like, you know, Michael Jackson bad, not bad as in awful. Um, the left hook is, is, is Bob Foster-esque, as I've said many times, by which I mean it's one of the greatest left hooks I've ever seen. 
the kicks are cracking and the the, the jumping knee is absolutely uh, is is a killer. Um, which is why I'm not quite sure why Sean Strickland does his usual thing of kind of walking around with his hands cocked like a John L. Sullivan era boxer um, and try to jab uh, into a guy who is longer and has a better jab than him uh, and is faster than him and is basically better than everything um, than him. I'm not really sure what he was doing either. I mean, the one thing I would do, if you're going to try and jab into a taller, longer, powerful, faster left hooker, keep your right hand glued to your head. It's just fucking basic. Jab in. Okay, don't have your right hand glued to your head constantly, but as you throw the jab, you bring the right hand up as you step in. It's fucking boxing 101. Yes, you don't want to walk around with your hands glued to your head all the time because you open yourself out to body shots, but as you step in with the jab, you bring your right hand up. I'm not even sure if Strickland was jabbing. He stepped in, dropped his right hand. By the way, his left hand was already low slung. And as the left hook was coming, he kind of flapped out a left hand. I don't know what he was trying to do. I don't know whether he just thought, do you know what? Actually, I don't think there was any thought process. I think he's just shit, to be honest with you. And it says a lot about the lack of depth in the UFC's middleweight division uh, that A, Strickland was ranked top five and was able to beat some half-decent fighters. And I say half-decent. That's pretty much all they were. And also that Alex Pereira, despite... And I wrote an article on him a couple of years back um, when, I, when I was uh, affiliated with the fight site... Um, despite Pereira's obvious shortcomings in MMA, and I do think he's shored up some of those things. Um, I'll probably talk about that in a minute um, and why it's not really relevant anyway. Um, the fact that Pereira has managed to get in the top five or beat a top five fighter, despite not fighting anyone in the top 20, and had, as I say, shortcomings as a mixed martial artist anyway. Obviously, he's worked on that. Um, but what we need to look at is what any of this means to a fight with Adesanya anyway. doesn't mean anything. That you can still positionally grapple Pereira to an extent. Uh, does it mean anything that is probably his ground game is still in somewhat of a nascent stage? Does it mean anything that you know Adesanya isn't really much of a you know grappling threat anyway? You know we've seen little bits of it here and there, but this, he's basically still a striker who's negating other aspects of him, so he can continue doing what he does best. Oftentimes, when certain fights happen in MMA, we will say. It's just a bad kickboxing match. But actually, what this is going to be is a good kickboxing match with four-ounce gloves and, you know, they're allowed to elbow and stuff. You know, extended clinch sequences, etc. Um, so, I don't think Adesanya is going to really utilise any grappling anyway. Um, Pereira has been working with, with Global Tech Zero for a while uh, up in Connecticut there. And it's probably... Better than, I mean, I definitely know he's better because if you look at how he's dealt with um, certain positional grappling uh, situations since he's come to the UFC, better than he used to be. Used to flap, used to get tired, used to get pushed back easier through the threat of the grappling. Now seems a bit more chilled, knows the fight grips, uh, knows how to better ride out bad situations and then get it back to his wheelhouse. So definitely improved in that sense. But does that... None of that really matters, I don't think, because I think it's going to be somewhat of a, and I, to say this lightly, I just said it was going to be a good kickboxing match, I think it might be a bad one, and this is why. We can't really take anything from uh, the the Vakatov fight, because I think actually the second Vakatov fight to an extent, the first Adesanya fight, and we're going to talk about that more, and the Koshenko fight show us really how you want to beat Pereira well, pushing back, 
don't give him any breathing space, force him on the back foot, take away his ability to spring forward and hit you with the left hand and overwhelm him with shots, tire him out. These are things that you've got to do to beat him. Push the puncher back. You know, just take him out of his element and drown him. It's the best way to beat him. It's the absolute best way to beat him. Um, it's, it's a, it was a, to a lesser extent in the Vakitov fight. Adesanya in the first fight, we're going to get to. Brilliantly done. Koshenko, at its absolute optimum, just came out there and beat the shit out of Pereira, essentially. Um, what not to do with Pereira? Concede ground, uh, let him come forward. Um, I do think Adesanya does some really interesting things, and we might as well talk about the first fight now. What Adesanya can do in leading Pereira forward is constantly cause him to reset. Adesanya is good uh, lateral mover. He's good at spinning out, getting angles. In that first fight with Pereira, he did this to its optimum because he actually pressured uh, Alex Pereira for much of that fight. He had his back to the ropes. He was touching the guard, pulling down the shots, whipping in body shots, whipping shots around the guard. Completely bamboozled him. Too fast. Definitely won that fight. Deserved to win that decision, in my opinion. Um, but that was a different Adesanya. That was even more so than to say like the Paolo Costa fight or the Whitaker fight. He was less counter based. He really was on the front foot. Really was had a lot of activity uh, and was able to better combat what Pereira brings to the table. Now someone tried to pull a gotcha on me, which was uh, Pereira didn't just luckily land that left hook. You know he was trying to set it up. Talking about the second fight when Pereira somewhat infamously uh, sparked Adesanya out. Of course he was trying to set the left hook up because he's a left hooker. It eventually landed, and it could eventually land in four-ounce gloves against Israel Adesanya. What Adesanya would be best doing, though, is doing what he did in that first fight. Not moving away from the puncher, but taking it to him, getting Pereira up against the cage, going to town on him, tiring him out, drowning him, and taking away, making him a bit more impotent. I think what Adesanya is going to do, and I think, as I was just saying, a good approach is also to cause him to lead, but also constantly cause him to turn, reset, um, give him looks that makes Pereira unsure of when he can le- uh, launch his attacks. But I do think, actually, it's a more perilous uh, game plan in the long run because it is less likely to tire him out based on what we know of him. So Adesanya's current game, whilst I think it could lead to a somewhat of a staring match as he causes Pereira to follow him, um, I definitely can see the uh, benefits to keeping Adesanya out of trouble. He's doing that with lesser strikers, less dangerous fighters than Pereira now. So if you think suddenly he's going to revert back to what he did in their first kickboxing match, I'd say it's unlikely. But I do think he would be better suited to pressuring Pereira, showing him a variety of different strikes, upping the ante on him and... Yes, okay, there might be a greater risk that he walks into something and gets chinned. But I actually think in the long run, there's a better chance that um, he will win convincingly. Whereas if it's a low-output kickboxing match, and we get something which is similar to, say, the Romero fight, but Pereira's landing the odd heavy leg kick, landing the odd sharp right hand, optics-wise, that might actually look better than these kind of pit-a-pat shots that Adesanya seems to favour presently. Now, I don't want to act as well that, um, oh yeah, well, you're only going to take one shot and not Adesanya out. I know Gastelum hurt him, and I know Pereira whacked him, but if you watch their first fight and their second fight to an extent, Adesanya doesn't just get rubber-legged every time he gets tapped. He takes some really big shots in that first fight, rights and lefts, 
And, you know, I know four ounce gloves makes it different and whatnot, don't get me wrong, but um, not to the massive extent that Sunday Alessandro is just going to get touched and just be completely unconscious. That second fight, um, the kickboxing bout, um, amazing win for Pereira, come from behind win, um, but frankly, um, less replicable based on what I've seen from their first fight. It's kind of what we talked about Volkanovski Holloway earlier. First fight, more indicative of how the whole series was, really. Whereas the moments of Holloway had Volkanovski stunned, rocked, less chance of that happening uh, the more times they fight. Really did sort of capture lightning in a bottle and that was his best chance to win. Now, more of a chance, definitely, because Pereira, as I alluded to earlier, is, in my opinion, the most devastating striker in all of combat sports. But also, it's going to be a big occasion. Adesanya knows his way around the cage by now. And, you know, he's not going to do the same things that, A, the first couple of guys have done. Because even though I think Bruno Silva's a pretty good fighter, uh, and I think, you know, first guy was basically just a, com a complete grappler. Um, you know, essentially, they were, they were lined up to make Pereira look good. Um, and... Funny enough, Strickland, whether the UFC intended to or not, and I imagine they intended to, because they've been pushing this Pereira Adesanya free in the cage basically since Pereira signed. Um, also, a gimme. Israel Adesanya, whatever you think of his recent performances, not a gimme. Um, and, you know, Eugene Behrman and the City Kickboxing guys, they know how to game plan. And if you don't think they're going to have ways to counteract, uh, Pereira's major weapons obviously got another thing coming and I think that Adesanya also although I think he is less exciting less impressive to some extent nowadays he's more experienced than he was when he fought uh, Pereira in kickboxing yeah, I say he just knows himself more he knows better how to keep himself safe and probably although I think he might have a somewhat more impressive night and uh, might be able to get rid of Pereira if he were to put it on him um, you know, if he wants to mitigate risk in this way and we see a very low output uh, kickboxing bout and Izzy is happy to take his chances on the scorecards as he did against Romero, against Whitaker and now against uh, Cannonier, um, whatever, man. I, I could see it working out for him. So all I'm saying is here, really like Axe Pereira. I've done for a while. Been one round by his, uh, you know, cultivating his, his skill set in an MMA sense. He's definitely outperformed my expectations for him in mixed martial arts all I'm saying is whatever course of action Adesanya wants to take there's definitely more of a chance that he's going to come out victorious I just think he has more avenues to victory um, and I think more people need to watch both uh, Pereira fights because I think the narrative for a while especially amongst kickboxing fans is well you know Adesanya was piecing him up until he got caught and the pushback from Pereira fans is look it wasn't a lucky punch, you know. It, 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 he beat him twice. Yeah, we'll watch the first fight because actually Adesanya showed that he was just a more versatile fighter and, and you know, arguably deserved the decision. But if nothing else, if you watch it, you can see how much Adesanya's changed. So I don't expect him to go back to what he did in the first fight. I think if he did, it'd be awesome. But um, I also think, based on what he's currently doing, I think those expecting Pereira to come in and just chin him um, uh, somewhat mistaken Adesanya brings a lot lot more to the table than the three dudes who've just seen Pereira smash the bits but isn't it great to see Alex Pereira in the UFC smashing people to bits it's great four ounce gloves knocking out people uh, dumbasses like Strickland 
Um, doesn't really get much better than that. But to bring it all back to the beginning, doesn't really get much better than Alexander Volkanovsky's performance against Max Holloway. Um, going forward, yes, the big one's going to be we're finally going to see Adesanya versus Pereira in MMA, um, the rubber match, um, so to speak, because, as I say, I think it should be one and one But, man, if you take anything away from this weekend's card, Alexander Volkanovsky, the best pound-for-pound fighter in MMA and probably the best featherweight of all time. If you've got any disagreements with what I've just said, of course, you can hit me up on Twitter at CombatCHR. And if you want to hear extra bonus podcasts and read little bits I put out. I don't really write articles or anything, but I do little announcement pieces where I talk about what I'm up to. Head on over to Patreon, www.patreon.com slash combat chronicles. The month of July is going to be a good one if you do want to sign up now. Thanks as always for listening and we'll see you next week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.